Okay, let's take our Bibles and find our way to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We are in a section that explains the meaning and extent of a wife's submission. This is not a message or a passage that is altogether welcome in our culture and in our day, and yet it is way clearer than most would guess if you just read the text and try to apply it. I'm read the whole paragraph so we know kind of uh, and have in our mind what Paul's complete thoughts are on this, this subject. Just remind you, he's told us to be filled with the Spirit in 518. Then he gets into the relational dimensions of the application of being filled with the Spirit, beginning in verse 22. goes, wives, then husbands, then a couple, then children, then parents, then employees, then employers, and then says, this is all important because we are fighting a war that's supernatural against the demonic realm, and this all builds to the crescendo in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5, verse 22, Paul says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we, we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, the, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. One of the most interesting and noteworthy observations in the Bible can be found in the book of Proverbs. As you're aware, King Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines or mistresses. This was strictly and explicitly forbidden in the law. Moses wrote Deuteronomy 17 in reference to kings. He shall not multiply wives for himself or else... His heart will turn away. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, you see his heart completely drifted from Yahweh, from the Lord, because of these wives and specifically bringing their worship on high places to other gods into the relationship. Solomon sinned by taking more than one wife. So it should not surprise us that when Solomon collects the Proverbs, as the book of Ecclesiastes points to, that he collected these Proverbs. And there are several authors be out, uh, uh, from um, uh, verses 10, uh, chapter 10 and on 
24 and then especially in 30 and 31, where Solomon says, I've collected these Proverbs from different sources. They are God's word nonetheless, but I've, I've collected them. It shouldn't surprise us that when it came time to talk about a virtuous wife, singular, he didn't use his own words. He quoted King Lemuel. Chapter 31 of Proverbs is, are the words of King Lemuel. We know that because verse 1 tells us that he's the one who wrote these. And in Proverbs 31.10, King Lemuel says, An excellent wife! Who can find? Every time I read that, I just want to say, I can. I, I did. For her worth is far above jewels. Can I put that in our vernacular? Greater than winning a billion dollar lottery is finding an excellent wife. Earlier, Solomon wrote this, Proverbs 18. Verse 21, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I love saying that in a wedding. I have stood right here in this exact real estate more times than I can count, looking the groom in the eye and I say, this, I read this passage, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And I, I tell him, listen, whatever his name is on your left arm is, is, a, uh, is a good thing that the Lord has given you. And he's just going with his eyes bright, and she's going, you know, nice. <laughs> yeah. Add to that, at the end of his life, when he came to his senses, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9 9, enjoy life with the woman you love all the days of your life, fleeting life, which she has given you under the sun for this, your wife, for this is your reward. I can say without any hesitation that my precious Kim is, is my reward from the Lord. All this points to the fact that God honors, God praises, God blesses an excellent wife. He calls her a good thing. He calls her her husband's reward. And I say that to, to affirm that we at Mission Road have a very high view of women. We love the gift that God has given to our church. And so many women and so many excellent wives who serve as examples in our church. But what is an excellent wife? It may be harder to answer than you would think. What is an excellent wife? Where can you go to find the definition of an excellent wife? Well, Paul actually outlines that for us here in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a woman who seeks to be the kind of wife described here and that Paul exoner exonerates as, as one to be worthy of praise and one to be worthy of emulation and imitation. A few weeks ago, I read a quote by Jim Boardwine, and I didn't finish the quote. I, wanted, I saved it for today. I want to finish it today. Jim Boardwine is correct when he observes this, quote, much of evangelicalism is not biblical. What I mean is that there's an increasingly obvious tendency within evangelicalism to portray Christianity to the world without making reference to the Bible. If this sounds like a foregone conclusion, then you haven't been reading enough lately. 
Some in the church are promoting a Christianity that is less than influenced by the systematic study and application of the Word of God than it is by trends and techniques borrowed from modern society. End quote. He's right. Listen, the most fundamental, important decision that every married couple must make about their marriage is this. Will we define our marriage by the cultural pressures around us or will we define our marriage and live by God's holy standards in his word, the Bible? The Puritan Thomas Adams wrote this. Woman takes her being from man. And we read that from the rib in Genesis, right? But listen how he finishes that. Woman takes her being from man. But man takes his well-being from the woman. And he's right. And we find out why in this section of Scripture. Three verses, three simple verses. And it's not a surprise to anyone to know that they are some of the most controversial words in our culture ever uttered. Wives, verse 22, be submissive to or be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Reason, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ all is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. And then verse 24, which we'll be exploring today. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. I didn't write that for the record, okay? This is Paul right out of the book of Ephesians. How do we wrestle with this? How do we understand this? And know that if you believe this, you're going countercultural in the most obtruse way. Can I just also just share, it is such a blessing to be in this church with, with this body of believers where we can talk about these things and take God's word at face value and apply it at face value. This, this is a rare, you are a rare congregation who would hear these principles without pushback. I'm blessed to be a part of this church because of your commitment to God's word and its clarity. So we began looking at this last week. Let's catch up to where we were, got to last week and keep moving. Three questions for clarifying confusion about submission in marriage. Three questions for clarifying confusion about submission in marriage. Now, I need to say this because uh, some of you have probably already, I got ratted out by the first service people. Um, this is going to be a three-part series. This was going to be a three-part series. And I got through about two-thirds of the sermon in first hour and had a sweating panic and couldn't finish. And so we'll, this will be a four-part series. And we'll, are you laughing with me or are you laughing at me? And we'll finish this up. Let me just say, we'll continue next week. I'm not going to make any more promises. I'm scared to death to do that. But we're not, there's no way we can get through this because it's so dense and so rich and so important and so misunderstood and has to be handled with such care. Let's review. We did the first two questions in the last two weeks and we'll begin looking at the third question today. The first question was this, how should submission work in marriage? Wives, verse 22, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. As we noted, that little phrase in the New American Standard, be subject to, is in italics, which means it's not in the original. Said another way, the verb here in verse 22 is borrowed from verse 21. 
And I think it's stronger the way it's, it's the, the, the message is stronger and as strong as Paul wants to make it without that verb in this verse. Listen to how it flows. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 21, be subject to or submissive to hupatasso, ranking yourself in order under. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The church should operate with this, this functional subordination with each other where we're looking at the fear of Christ and letting each other's ministry in our lives be encouraging, be, be uh, uh, correcting, be, be uh, helpful in the way that we're walking with the Lord. We do that with each other, Christian to Christian. Then he says this, wives to your own husbands. In other words, wives, this is specifically how you do this. And then he'll say in the husbands, this is how you do this as well. I did not order that thunder at that moment. (laughs) (laughs) What is this submission? We looked at it last time. Hupatasso is to be in subjection to. It's biblical submission that is the attitude and action of willingly and wholeheartedly respecting, yielding to, and obeying the authority of another. Let me say it again. Biblical submission is the attitude and action of willingly and wholeheartedly respecting and yielding to and obeying the authority of another. We went into this in great detail in the last two weeks, so I won't belabor the point. But remember that the apostle says here to your own husbands, this is not a verse that says all women submit to all men. It's very specific. Wives to your own husbands. And again, if you want to study that more, there's a recording from two weeks ago that you can dive in a little deeper. Why should you do that? Paul then turns the key and asks that question. Why should a woman submit to her husband? Why? On the basis of what? Verse 23 answers that. For or because the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. The reason a believing wife is called to submit to her husband is rooted in the theological reality that the husband is the head of the relationship and the head of the home. Please notice it doesn't say the husband should become the head. It says you are the head. You are the leader. That's what it means, the leader. You're either a good one or a bad one, an informed one or an uninformed one, a biblical one or a worldly one, but you are the head of your home. You're called to be the leader, and that's what you function as. It means authority. It means leadership. Paul goes into greater detail elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. There's the paradigm. And the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. He says this headship is rooted in theological ontology. In other words, who God is and how God has made the husband and the wife. Said another way, this is grounded in theological creationism, how God created us, not in culture. These verses discuss the headship of a husband in marriage. And as I told you last week, look, if you think this is like hard to swallow as a woman, wait till you hear what God says to us men. Christ is the head of the church. He's not a dictator. He's not a ogre. He's our 
friend, our comforter, our leader. And that's the pattern and paradigm for the husband. Staying out of two ditches, domineering authoritarianism where you're just my way or the highway, overbearing leadership. And the other side is passive inattention that flattens the leadership out so that the undue burden of leadership is given and shared with a wife, willingly letting her or pushing her to take your place as the leader of the home. Those are two extremes that I think we have to avoid. We look at the headship of Jesus it's right here in the verse. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He's our, our pattern. He's our paradigm. He's our example. His leadership is not overbearing, nor is it passive. So we look to his headship. Counsel, character, convictions, cooperation, and care. That's what some of the things that are involved in our, our leadership or should be. And a godly man will recognize that he's called to lead and to be sensitive to a woman who is called to follow him. I shudder. I just, it, even in this moment, I, it's hard for me with the woman I love and know and respect the most to know that she has the burden of following me. Service, provision, protection. That's Christ's headship and it should be ours. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. And men, we should live lives that are saying, follow me. Those were the first two questions and we got to number three that I thought we were going to finish today and we're not. We'll take two weeks to finish this. And that is this, when? When should this happen? When should a wife submit to her husband? What's the context of this? Sometimes, always, in some things, in everything, what's the context? When should this happen? And verse 24 answers that. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. This verse represents theological nails on culture's chalkboard. It's like, oh, Paul, can you soften that? That was pretty hard. What does it mean? Well, there are two controls on this that I want to start with. Two controls on a wife's submission to her husband. Number one, or letter A, an analogous understanding, and letter B, a comprehensive application. Let's look at this first. An analogous understanding. What does that mean? But as the church is subject or submissive to Christ, there's the paradigm, there's the pattern. This is important. A wife's submission to her husband is no more optional than the church's submission to Christ is optional. See that? This is not something that you can pick and choose to do. This is something that is as essential to the relationship between a husband and wife as it is between Christ and his sheep, the church. As the church is hupotasso, subject to, in order, under Christ. None of us can come to God and say, well, I will obey this, but not that. Oh, I'm happy to, to say, uh, uh, you know, uh, do not commit adultery and do not hate or, or do not commit murder. But, you know, I got a real grudge against this person and uh, my mind goes to that person in, a, in an inappropriate way. No, you, you can't do that. Jesus said, no, to obey him is to obey him wholeheartedly and fully. And, if, and even when it's not perfect, that's why we have confession and forgiveness, even the Lord's table. 
James Boardwine writes, the submission of a wife, of the wife, like the submission of the church, is required. <laughs> Which means that sin is the result if it is not fulfilled. Let me say it another way. If a wife does not submit appropriately, we'll talk about that in a moment, to her husband, it's sin. Just as it is sin for the church or a believer to disobey Christ. The church is subject to, submissive to the Lord. But we also know that that's a sweet submission because of who he is. Men, it should be a sweet submission on our wives because of who we are. But that's for another study. There's the paradigm. There's the analogous understanding. But then he talks about a comprehensive application. So also, just like the church submits to the Lord, so also the wives ought to be in subjection to, submissive to, their husbands, it's possessive again, not any man, not, not any husband, but their own husbands, in everything. What two words stick out in that verse? In everything, right? What does that mean? That God calls a wife to follow her husband is clear enough, but what does it mean to do so in everything? George Knight, one of my favorite commentators, said this, the phrase is all-encompassing. Submission must encompass all aspects of life. This removes the understanding that some may have had or others may still have that Paul is speaking simply about submission in sex or some other narrow realm. Since marriage partners are one flesh, God wants them to function together under one head, not as autonomous individuals living together, end quote. Too many couples, too many Christian couples live as lifetime roommates rather than this kind of relationship that Paul describes. So let's go back. What does it mean, everything? Well, let me just say it. It does not and cannot, it cannot mean absolutely everything. It can't. Now, the parallel is how to interpret Paul's words when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, he can't. Not all things. I mean, think about this. Is that literal? Does that mean that I can grow wings and fly like an eagle through Christ who strengthens me? Does it mean that I can instantly teleport into any place in the world that I desire through Christ who strengthens me? No. Does it even mean that I can be able this afternoon as Rick Holland to slam dunk a basketball? On it? Why are you laughing at that? That's just, that's just hurtful. I'm never going to dunk a basketball. But can I quote this verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, because all things is contextually defined. Paul doesn't intend for us to, to take that as an all, all, all ridiculous things. You can't say, I can sin through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. That's not what it means. I, I grew up hearing a phrase, all means all, and that's all, all means. No, it's not. That's, that's not what it means. 
Well, that same principle is applied here to the word everything. Let me give you a little example of how these kind of meld together in other contexts. Colossians 3.20, as children be obedient to your parents in all things. What if your parents tell you to sin? Should you obey your parents then? No. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 3.22, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on the earth. Does that mean even when they ask you to sin? No, it cannot mean that. So, Walter Layfield makes this observation. A slightly different Greek phrase, though properly translated in the same way in everything, appears in exhortation to children, slaves, we just read in Colossians 3, 20 and 22. But comprehensiveness is just what some wives fear. An unreasonable husband, an abuser, one who is sexually demanding, can use this verse wrongly as a club to gain his way. The ideal wife who is not willing, who is not withholding submission selfishly, and a husband who does not demand it unreasonably. That's the goal, in quote. So, back to in everything. It functions by saying, in everything that is appropriate in the Lord. Remember in Colossians, he says that you should submit as is fitting in the Lord. So why does he say everything here? Well, as we studied last week, a husband may never forbid what God has commanded, nor may he command what God has forbidden. Let's start there with the moral principles and standards of God's word. So why is this saying everything here? He's saying, ladies, wives, you can't be selective by preference regarding your submission. In other words, in everything means you cannot create loopholes to dodge the commandment. Oh, I think I'll take your leadership in parenting this child, but not the other one. Oh, I think that we should do this, but not the other. It's saying it's comprehensive. The leadership is the leadership. You say, well, what if it's wrong leadership? Then appeal, then talk, then have discussions. It doesn't mean you have to be quiet and just take everything. It means that you enter into a discussion. What if there's still a disagreement? That's why you have the church and elders and leaders to help you sort that out. Let me say this twice because it's going to be a little confusing, okay? It is a categorical command in its comprehensiveness. Every category involves submissiveness, in other words. Every category. So it is a categorical, categorical command in its comprehensiveness, but it is not comprehensive in every category. In other words, there can be ways that a husband leads sinfully or leads unwisely, and that's why we have elders in the church. That's why it's so important to be in a God-centered, word-honoring local body. I hear it. I hear what you're asking. I'm asking the same thing. But what about a husband who's committing sin with his wife or against his wife? How does submission work in that arena? It's very interesting that Peter addresses this. Think about the context. In that first generation of Christians, almost always, I'm sure there were 
cases where maybe when a household was saved, when they all heard the gospel and responded at the same time. But by and large, then as many times now, if you have an unbelieving couple, one of them comes to faith in Christ before the other, which gives you a time, whether it's short or long, where you have one trying to follow the Lord and the other who isn't. That creates a, a significant tension in the relationship. So turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to see how Peter helps us navigate this. The context here is about a wife's submission to an unbelieving husband. But let me say this. These principles are wonderful principles about a wife, about a wife who's submitting to a husband who's not trying to honor the Lord whose profession might be in question or is being disobedient, these principles are still wonderfully applicable. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, in the same way, you gotta stop right there. What is he talking about? In the same way. Wives are to submit to their husbands in the same way as what? Well, he just gave us a whole section on this submission. The theme of submission has been applied since chapter 2, verse 11. He says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, in verse 13, to every human institution. Then he applies that to submitting to the civil government in 13 and 14. He applies that to a servant-master relationship in 2, 18 to 20, and now to wives and husbands here in 3, 1 to 6. So submission to authority is a Christian virtue and a command from the Lord, not just an issue for wives or women. Please hear that. Everyone, who's, who, who, everyone who knows God is called by God to submit to the proper authorities and the created human institutions that he's put in our mind unless they ask you to sin. Let me say it again. Unless they ask, command you to do what God forbids or forbid you to do what God commands. So he sets that up in the same way. You wives, be submissives, submissive to your husbands, clear enough, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. What happens when a wife is married to an unbelieving husband? Should you leave, separate, divorce? Peter says, now you submit. God knows, God cares, God is sovereign, God is good. And your theology can be your faithful God in any circumstance. You're saying, what if he's abusive? Hold that thought. God has an answer for that. Peter teaches us that a Christian wife's submission to her husband is actually an evangelistic lever. It's leverage the Lord can use to soften his own heart to the Lord. Here's the secret sauce. You ready for this? This is the secret sauce of an unbelieving, of a believing wife with an unbelieving husband and a believing wife with an immature or disobedient husband. Here it is. Your faith will move you closer to your husband not farther away from him. You say, what does it mean? Submissive, submission is following. A godly woman says, hey, I want to follow. God has made you the head, whether you know it or like it or realize it or not. I, I want to follow your leadership. 
She is for him, not against him. He is her love, not her enemy. Now, I don't want to go too far astray here, but the same principles work if you have an unbelieving wife, is you can win them by your, without a word, by character. In the same way, be submissive to your own husband's so that even if they're disobedient, they can be one without a word. One, one, one. This is, you win them by how you act, how you behave, that they may be one without a word, without a sermon, without a preaching series, by the behavior of their wives. What a powerful, powerful tonic a godly life is. You say, what does that mean? Verse two, as they observe your chaste, your holy and respectable behavior. You're living a holy life in the house with them and with respect to them. He shifts gears, interestingly. He says, and your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. There's nothing wrong with, with looking nice and dressing nice and dressing attractively without dressing to attract but he says, that, that can't be your only adornment. You're not going to win your wife by getting prettier. But let the hidden person of the heart, verse 4, with the imperishable quality, oh, this is precious, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. You're kind. You're gracious. You're not, I have a whole list at the, that's not going to make it in today. It's going to be next week. Of ways that you can violate this. There are biblical mandates that if you get off of, you're not this kind of gentle and quiet spirit. You're humble. You're gracious. You're godly. For And he gives us a couple examples. For in this way, in the former times, holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. He says, this is the way that God has patterned it in all biblical history. Then he gives us a specific, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, stop right there. Man, if any of you go home this afternoon and say, I'll be addressed as Lord Rick this, from now on. You've missed the point. Addressing him as Lord just means the authority, the master, the head. And you become children of her if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. We're going to come back to that next week, frightened by any fear. But most women fear what they will lose, what will happen if they are submissive. He says, don't be frightened by that. Footnote to our single ladies. A prayer <clears throat> is that none of you will ever need this passage. because you're making a good decision in your dating on who you're giving your submission to. Single men, you are going to bear so much responsibility in your leadership as a married man. And would you please woo and date the godly women in our church so they're not vulnerable to ungodly men who might want their attention? Yes, I turned it into a dating series for a minute. I agree with Alexander Strzok who says, 
Christian marital submission does not mean that the wife is inferior. It doesn't mean that the wife is to be passive or surrender all independent thought. It doesn't mean that the husband is to stifle the wife's creativity, her gifts, her individuality. It doesn't mean that a wife is to do everything the husband demands or that the husband is to oppress the wife. It does not mean that the wife is to enable the husband's sin and irresponsibility, nor does it mean that the wife is to live with a psychologically dangerous or abusive man. A few more comments. This whole idea of abuse we're going to talk much more about next week is, is an important subject to address, but it's difficult. There is no consensus about how to even define that word. Does it mean being mine or hitting? There's a big difference between those two. And every husband I know is unkind from time to time. So what does that mean? We'll, we'll dive into that, but let me just say it as simple as possible. If any woman anywhere, especially under the gracious care of our church body, finds herself in a physically threatening or abusive situation, call the police. We will call them with you. We will go to the, make a report with you. It's not tolerable. Don't do it. You're not called to submit to painful abuse physically. What if he's being mean? That's why you have the church. Because when you start saying, well, spiritually abusive, psychologically abusive, that means so, it means different things to different people. So let's sit and talk about it. And we'd be glad to talk to him if that's in play as well. That's for next week. Just hold that thought. But let me, I had to say for today, this and submission doesn't mean we promote abuse however you define it. I like what he says in verse eight, sum up all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. I know there's a lot of yes buts. But we're gonna work through those together. Again, if there's ever any physical abuse, we would, in the strongest terms, ask you to report that to the police. If there's unkindness and neglect, we would encourage you to seek counsel and support at your church and with church leaders. This is how far I got at about this time in the first service and realized that I have many more pages of notes. But can I give you a little bit of a heads up, ladies? Some of you said last week, can you be more practical? Well, this is what it's going to sound like next week, okay? What submission is not? It's not nagging and it's not annoying. It's not disagreeing and disagreeable. It's not being argumentative or contentious. It's not being disloyal. It's not being moody. It's not squandering money and being a bad steward. Staying within the budget, it means. It's not overpowering. It's not independent, especially in regards to making decisions. It's not defiant, it's not inattentive, and it's not manipulative. What is submission? Then we'll dive into the fact that it seeks your husband's leadership, it follows his leadership, it encourages his leadership, it respects and honors his leadership because submission is submission to the Lord's leadership. And lastly, it'll pray for his leadership. George Swinnick said, a gracious wife satisfies a good husband 
and silences a bad one. Puritan John Trapp also said, cleverly said, a prudent wife commands her husband by obeying him. Interesting twist and take, which we're going to take a deeper dive into next week. Let me just say, I, Kim was right again. I have to say it out loud. She says, you're not going to get through all that. Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. Um, she's, if she's a prophetess, she will live another day. To, um, but these are important things, and so there, there will be a part four. Um, and I can't promise how many parts for us men, but you better buckle up. Father, give us the insights that we need to apply these principles. They sound so strongly anti-cultural and counterintuitive to our world. And yet, when a wife lives like this and a husband lives like he should, imitating your leadership, the gospel is on full display. So give us questions where there are answers where there are questions and clarity where there's confusion. I know there's a yes, but what about this and what about that? Give us wisdom in the coming days. Give me wisdom to try to answer those with the power and authority of your word. And again, I'm so thankful for a church that leans hard into your, your very words. Help us to apply them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.